0: You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. The Redfield Arts Audio Podcast presents The Midnight Matinee, Tales of Mystery and Imagination.
1: Redfield Arts Audio presents The Blue Carbuncle, a Sherlock Holmes Christmas Mystery, with Carol Mason as Mrs. Hudson, J.R. Liston as Dr. John Watson, and Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes. From the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle.
2: London at Christmas Time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas with the intention of wishing him the compliments of the season. My cab had just arrived at Baker Street, and as I stepped down I saw that my landlady, from the days when I had shared rooms with Holmes, was alighting from hers. Ah! A happy Christmas, Mrs. Hudson.
3: Oh, Dr. Watson. May I help you with those packages? Yes, thank you. Very kind. There
2: you are. Much obliged. Returning from your sisters, I see.
3: Oh, yes. Very keen you are. (laughs) How would you know?
2: It doesn't take a Sherlock Holmes to deduce that. Two days after Christmas you return to Baker Street, laden with bundles and packages? That you've been visiting your sister and your nieces? Did you have a lovely holiday?
3: Oh, it's so good to get out of the city, if only once a year. <laughs> and the girls, they're growing up so fast. Indeed. And how's Mrs. Watson? Oh, never better. Never better.
2: Let's get these things and ourselves inside where it's warm, shall we?
3: Oh, it's good to see you. He misses you. What's that? Mr. Holmes. He misses you.
2: I helped Mrs. Hudson inside and left her Christmas bounty on the table in the hall and climbed the stairs to the rooms I had once shared with Sherlock Holmes. I wrapped and opened the Compliments of the season.
0: Am I interrupting you? Watson! <laughs> not at all. I am glad to have a friend with whom I can discuss my results. The matter is a perfectly trivial one, but there are points in connection with this dirty old hat which are not entirely devoid of interest and even of instruction. You know Peterson, the commissionaire? Yes, it is hat? No, Peterson found it. First, as to how this battered billycock came here to Baker Street... It arrived upon Christmas morning, in company with a good fat goose, which is, I have no doubt, roasting at this moment in front of Peterson's fire. The facts are these. About 4 o'clock on Christmas morning, Peterson, who, as you know, is a very honest fellow, was returning from some small jollification and was making his way homeward down Tottenham Court Road. In front of him, he saw in the gaslight a tallish man walking with a slight stagger and carrying a large white goose slung over his shoulder. As he reached the corner of Good Street, a row broke up between this stranger and a little knot of roughs. One of the latter knocked off the man's hat, on which he raised his stick to defend himself and, swinging it over his head, smashed the shop window behind him. Peterson had rushed forward to protect the stranger from his assailants, but the man, shocked at having broken the window and seeing an official-looking person in uniform rushing towards him, dropped his goose, took to his heels and vanished. The roughs had also fled at the appearance of Peterson, so that he was left in possession of the field of battle and also the spoils of victory, in the shape of this battered hat and a most unimpeachable Christmas goose.
2: Which surely Peterson restored to their
0: owner. Oh, and here is another souvenir from Christmas morning, the card that was attached to the leg of the goose for Mrs. Henry Baker. There lies a problem. The initials H.B. are legible here uh, upon the lining of this hat. But as there are some thousands of bakers and some hundreds of Henry bakers in this city of ours, it is not easy to restore lost property to any one of them. What did Peterson do? He brought round both hat and goose to me on Christmas morning, knowing that even the smallest problems are of interest to me.
2: Did he not advertise? No. Then what clue could you have as to his identity only as
0: much as we can deduce from his hat precisely <laughs> but you're joking what could you gather from this old battered felt you know my methods
2: may i uh, what can you gather let me see this hat
0: I can see nothing. On the contrary, Watson, you can see everything. You fail, however, to reason from what you see. What can I infer from this hack? That the man was highly intellectual is, of course, obvious upon the face of it, and also that he was fairly well-to-do within the last three years, although he has now fallen upon evil days. He had foresight, but has less now than formerly pointing to a moral retrogression which, when taken with the decline of his fortune, seems to indicate some evil influence, probably drink, at work upon him. This may account also for the obvious fact that his wife has ceased to love him. My dear Holmes! He has, however, retained some degree of self-respect. He is a man who leads a sedentary life, goes out little, is out of training entirely, is middle-aged, has grizzled hair, which he has had cut within the last few days, and which he anoints with lime cream. These are the facts which can be deduced from his hat. Also, by the way, that it is extremely improbable that he has had gas laid on in his house.
2: You are certainly joking, Holmes. Not in the
0: least. How did you deduce that this man was intellectual? It is a question of cubic capacity. A man with so large a brain must have something in it. The decline of his fortunes, then. This hat is three years old. These flat brims curled at the edge came in then. It is a hat of the very best quality. Look at the band of ribbed silk and the excellent lining. If this man could afford to buy so expensive a hat three years ago, and has had no hat since, then he has assuredly gone down in the world.
2: Well, that is clear enough, certainly.
0: But how about the foresight and the moral retrogression? <laughs> Here is the foresight, this little disc and loop of the hat-securer. They are never sold upon hats. If this man ordered one, it is a sign of a certain amount of foresight, since he went out of his way to make this precaution against the wind. But since we see that he has broken the elastic and has not troubled to replace it, it is obvious that he has less foresight now than formerly, which is a distinct proof of a weakening nature. On the other hand, he has endeavoured to conceal some of these stains upon the felt by daubing them with ink, which is a sign that he has not entirely lost his self-respect. Certainly plausible. The further points, that he is middle-aged, that his hair is grizzled, that it has been recently cut, and that he uses lime cream, are all to be gathered from a close examination of the lower part of the lining. The lens discloses a large number of hair ends, clean cut by the scissors of the barber. They all appear to be adhesive, and there is a distinct odour of lime cream. The dust you will observe is not the gritty grey dust of the street, but the fluffy brown dust of the house showing that it has been hung up indoors most of the time while the marks of moisture upon the inside are proof positive that the wearer perspired freely and could therefore hardly be in the best of training but his wife you you said that she had ceased to love him well this hat has not been brushed for weeks when i see you my dear watson with a week's accumulation of dust upon your hat And when your wife allows you to go out in such a state, I shall fear that you also have been unfortunate enough to lose your wife's affection. But he might be a bachelor. Nay, he was bringing home the goose as a peace offering to his wife. Remember the card upon the bird's leg.
2: You have an answer to everything. But how on earth do you deduce that
0: the gas is not laid on in his house? One tallow stain or even two might come by chance. But when I see no less than five... I think that there can be little doubt that the individual must be brought into frequent contact with burning tallow. Walks upstairs at night probably with his hat in one hand and a guttering kettle in the other. Anyhow, he never got tallow stains from a gas jet. Are you satisfied? Well, it is <laughs> very ingenious, but since there has been no
2: Mr. crime committed Peterson. and no harm no. done save the loss of a all this seems to be rather a waste of energy. Oh, I, 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 so... <laughs> <laughs> what the me, blazes?
3: Leave it alone, Mr. Peterson. Peterson. M- Peterson. M- Mr. Holmes. Pardon, Dr.
0: Watson. I say. Mr. Holmes, I'm lucky to find you at home. Where else would I be? Dr. Watson and I were just about to enjoy our afternoon tea. Here. Let me help you, Mrs Hudson. I'm so sorry, Mrs Hudson. I'll pay for the broken tea things. Collect yourself, Peterson. The goose, Mr Holmes, the goose. sir. Has it returned to life and flapped off through the kitchen window? Look, sir, look what my wife found in its crop. By Jove, Peterson, this is a treasure trove indeed. I suppose you know what it is that you've got. What is that, Holmes? A diamond, sir? No, not a diamond, but a huh. Countess of Morcars blue carbuncle. About a, a, a what what's a blue carbuncle. Uh, w- 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 what's the blue carbuncle? A precious stone? No, the Countess of what to THE precious stone? Don't you read the papers, ma'am? I am I- afraid not, Mr. Holmes, what with the hours
2: I keep... The Countess of Morcar has offered a thousand pounds for its recovery. A-, 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 a thousand? Mother of pearl, great lord of... Here, take a chair, old man. Mrs. Hudson? Uh, oh, she's gone. You know, look, here, Peterson,
0: have a drink. Calm yourself. The gem was lost at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. On the 22nd of December? Precisely, so, Just five days ago. Uh, John Horner, a plumber, was accused of having stolen it from the lady's jewel case. I have some account of the matter here, I believe. Ha 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 ha! Hotel Cosmopolitan jewel robbery. John Horner, twenty-six plumber, was brought up upon the charge of having, upon the twenty-second, abstracted from the jewel case the of the Countess of Morcar, the valuable gem known as the Blue Carbuncle. James Ryder, upper attendant at the hotel gave his evidence to the effect that he had shown Horner up to the dressing room of the countess of morcar upon the day of the robbery in order that he might solder the second bar of the grate which was loose he um, had remained with horner some little time but had finally been called away on returning, um, he found that Horner had disappeared, that the bureau had been forced open, and that the small Morocco casket in which, as it afterwards transpired, the Countess was accustomed to keep her jewel, was lying empty upon the dressing table. Ryder instantly gave the alarm, and Horner was arrested the same evening, but the stone could not be found either upon his person or in his
2: room. And here the Times picks up the story. Catherine Cusack, maid to the Countess, deposed to having heard Ryder's cry of dismay on discovering the robbery and to having rushed into the room where she found matters as described by the last witness. Inspector Bradstreet, B Division, gave evidence as to the arrest of Horner, who struggled frantically and protested his innocence in the strongest terms evidence of a previous conviction for robbery having been given against the prisoner the magistrate refused to deal summarily with the offense but referred it to the assizes horner who had shown signs of intense emotion during the proceedings fainted away
0: at the conclusion and was carried out of court so much for the police court The question for us now to solve is the sequence of events leading from a rifled jewel case at one end to the crop of a goose in Tottenham Court Road at the other. You see, Watson, our little deductions have suddenly assumed a much more important and less innocent aspect. Here is the stone. The stone came from the goose, and the goose came from Mr. Henry Baker, the gentleman with the bad hat and all the other characteristics with which I have bored you. So now, we must set ourselves very seriously to finding this gentleman and ascertaining what part he has played in this little mystery. To do this, uh, we must try the simplest means first, and these lie undoubtedly in an advertisement in all of the evening papers. An advertisement? Take up that pencil and that slip of paper, Watson. Ready, Holmes. Now then, found at the corner of Goodge Street, a goose and a black felt hat. Mr. Henry Baker can have the same by applying at 6.30 this evening at 221B Baker Street. That is clear and concise. Mr. Baker would be sure to keep an eye on the papers, since to a poor man the loss was a heavy one. He was clearly so scared by his mischance in breaking the window and by the approach of Peterson here that he thought of nothing but flight. But since then, he must have bitterly regretted the impulse which caused him to drop his bird. Then again, the introduction of his name will cause him to see it, for everyone who knows him will direct his attention to it. Here you are, Peterson. Run down to the advertising agency and have this put in the evening papers. In uh, which, uh, sir? Oh, in the Globe, Star, St. James, Evening News, pell Mall Standard Echo, and any others that occur to you? Very well, sir. One more thing. Take this second note to this address no need to wait for a reply for the second note the diogenes club right uh, and the stone the blue what's ah yes i shall keep the watsis thank you and i say peterson just buy a goose on your way back and leave it here with me for we must have one to give to this gentleman in place for the one with which your family is now devoured very good mr holmes it sure is a pretty gem Look at it. It's a bonny thing. Just see how it glints and sparkles. Of course, it is a nucleus and focus of crime. Every good stone is the devil's bait. This stone is not yet twenty years old. It was found in the banks of the Amoy River in southern China and is remarkable in having every characteristic of the carbuncle, save that it is blue in shade instead of ruby red. In spite of its youth, it has already a sinister history. There have been two murders, a suicide, and several robberies brought about for the sake of this 40 grain weight of crystallized charcoal. Who would think that so pretty a toy would be a purveyor to the prison and the gallows? I'll lock it up in my strong box now, and drop a line to the Countess to say that we have it.
2: Do you imagine that this Henry Baker had anything to do with the
0: matter and the accused thief, John Horner? It's likely that he is an absolutely innocent man. That, however, I shall determine by a very simple test if we have an answer to our advertisement. Uh, and, 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 and you can do nothing until then? Nothing. Off with you, Peterson. Time is wasting. <laughs> right, then. Um, off I go. Uh, happy Christmas, uh, Mr. Holmes, uh, Dr. Watson. <laughs>
2: A happy Christmas, Peterson. Mr. Peterson. <laughs> Mrs. Hudson, are you all right,
0: my dear woman? Poor Mrs. Hudson.
3: The company you keep, Mr. Holmes. Oh, the company you keep.
0: You'll stay to dinner, won't you, Watson? Uh, Dr. Watson, will stay to dinner, Mrs. Hudson. I do have my afternoon rounds to complete, Nonsense. and... Nonsense. It's Christmas. How often do I see you since your marriage? And what do I tell Mrs. Watson? Tell her... tell her anything you
2: like. My old friend's suggestions of subterfuge, notwithstanding, I dined early with my wife, told the truth about visiting Holmes again in the evening. Honesty always being the best policy in marriage. And it was a little after six when I found myself in Baker Street once more. As I approached the house, I saw a tall man in a Scotch bonnet with a coat which was buttoned up to his chin waiting outside in the bright semicircle which was thrown from the fanlight. Just as I arrived, the door was opened and Mrs. Hudson
0: showed us up together to Holmes' room. Thank you, Mrs Hudson. Would you bring tea?
3: We're out of tea, Mr Holmes. My apologies. We're out of tea, teapots, teacups and tea saucers. We do, however, have spoons.
0: I see. Thank you. Pray take a chair by the fire, Mr Baker. It is a cold night, and I observe that your circulation is more adapted for summer than for winter. Thank you, sir. I will.
3: Will there be anything else, Mr. Holmes? Hmm? Shall I serve dinner? No,
0: no. That can wait, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you. Very well. Is that your hat, Mr. Baker? Yes, sir. That is undoubtedly my hat. We have retained the hat for some days because we expected to see an advertisement from you giving your address. I'm at a loss to know now why you did not advertise. Shillings have not been so plentiful with me as they once were. I had no doubt that the gang of ruffs who assaulted me had carried off both my hat and the bird. I do not care to spend more money in hopeless attempt at recovering them. Very naturally. Uh, By the way, about the bird, we were compelled to eat it. (sighs) To eat it? Yes, it would have been of no use to anyone had we not done so. But I presume that this other goose upon the sideboard, which is about the same weight and perfectly fresh, will answer your purpose equally well? Oh, certainly, certainly. Of course, we still have the feathers, legs, crop and so on of your birds, so if you... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they might be useful to me as relics of my adventure, but beyond that I can hardly see what use the disjecta membra of my late acquaintance are going to be to me. No, sir, I think that, uh, with your permission, I will confine my attentions to the excellent birds which I perceive upon your sideboard. There is your hat, then, and there is your bird. By the way, would it bore you to tell me where you got the other one from? I am somewhat of a foul fancier, and I have seldom seen a better-grown goose. Certainly, sir. There are a few of us who frequent the Alpha Inn near the museum. We are to be found in the museum itself during the day, you understand. This year our good host, Wintergate, by name, instituted a goose club by which, on consideration of some few pence every week, we were each to receive a bird at Christmas. My pence were duly paid and the rest is familiar to you. I am much indebted to you, sir, for a scotch bonnet is fitted neither to my years nor to my gravity. A happy Christmas, gentlemen. So much for Mr. Henry Baker. It is quite certain that he knows nothing whatsoever about the matter. Are you hungry, Watson? Not particularly. Then I suggest we turn our dinner into supper and follow up this clue while it's still hot. Wonderful, by all means.
2: It was a bitter night. So we drew on our ulsters and wrapped cravats about our throats. Outside the stars were shining coldly in a cloudless sky and the breath of the passers-by blew out into smoke like so many pistol shots. Our footfalls rang out crisply and loudly as we swung through the doctor's quarter. Wimpole Street, Harley Street, and so through Wigmore Street into Oxford Street. In a quarter of an hour we were in Bloomsbury at the Alpha Inn, which is a small public house at the corner of one of the streets which runs down into Holborn. Holmes pushed open the door to the private bar and ordered two glasses of beer from the ruddy-faced, white-aproned
0: landlord. Your beer should be excellent if it's as good as your geese. My geese? Yes, I was speaking only a half-hour ago to Mr. Henry Baker who was a member of your goose club. Ah, yes, I see. But you see, sir, them's not our geese. Indeed, Who's then? Well, I got a two dozen from a salesman in Covent Garden. Indeed, I know some of them. Which was it? Breckenridge is his name. I don't know him. Well, here's to your good health, landlord, and prosperity to your house. Good night. Now for Mr. Breckenridge. Remember, Watson, that though we have so homely a thing as a goose at one end of this chain, we have at the other a man who will certainly get seven years' penal servitude unless we can establish his innocence. It is possible that our inquiry may but confirm his guilt, but in any case, we have a line of investigation which has been missed by the police and which a singular chance has placed in our hands. Let us follow it out to the bitter end... Faces to the south, then, and quick march. We passed
2: across Holborn, down Endell Street, and so through a zigzag of slums to Covent Garden Market. One of the largest stalls bore the name of Breckenridge upon it, and the proprietor, a horsey-looking man with a sharp face and trimmed side whiskers, was helping a boy to
0: put up the shutters. Good evening. Oh, it's a cold night. Watch what you're doing there, boy, mind your work. I'm sold out of geese, I see. Let you have 500 tomorrow morning. Well, that's no good. Well, there are some in the store with a gas flare. Ah, but I was recommended to you. Who, boy? The landlord, at the Alpha. Oh, yes, I sent him a couple of dozen. Fine birds, they were, too. Now, where did you get them from? Now then, mister, what are you driving at? Let's have it straight now. It's straight enough. I should like to know who sold you the geese which you supplied to the alpha. Well, then I shan't tell you, so now. Oh, it is a matter
2: of no importance. But I don't know why you should be so warm over such
0: a trifle. Warm? You'd be warm, maybe, if you were as pestered as I am. Well, I'd pay good money for a good article, that should be the end of the business. But it's where are the geese, and who did you sell the geese to, and what will you take for the geese? One would think they were the only geese in the world to hear the fuss that was made over him. Well, I have no connection with any other people who have been making inquiries. If you don't tell us the better's off, that is all. But I'm always ready to back my opinion on the matter of fowls. And I have a fiver on it that the bird I ate is country-bred. Well, then you lost your fiver, for it's town-bred. It's nothing of the kind. I say it is. I don't believe it. Do you think you know more about fowls than I, who have handled them since I was a nipper? I tell you, all those birds that went to the Alpha were town-bred. You'll never persuade me to believe that. Will you bet, then? It's merely taking your money, for I know that I am right. But I'll have a sovereign on with you, just to teach you not to be obstinate. (whistles) Bring me the books, Bill. Ah. Now then, Mr. Cockshaw, I thought that I was out of geese. But before I finish, you'll find that there is one left in my shop. You see this little book? Well, that's the list of the folk from whom I buy. Do you see? Well then. Here on this list are the country folk, and the numbers after their names are where their accounts are in the big ledger. Now then, you see this other page in red ink? Well, this is the list of my town suppliers. Now, look at that third name. Just read it out to me. Mrs Oakshot 117 Brixton Road two four nine. Quite so. Now Turn that up in the ledger. Here you are, Mrs. Oakshot, 117 Brixton Road, egg and poultry supplier. Now, what's the last entry? December 22nd, 24 geese at seven shillings, sixpence. Quite so. There you are. And underneath? Sold to Mr. Windigate of the Alpha at 12 shillings. What have you to say now? Sherlock Holmes looked deeply chagrined. He drew
2: a sovereign from his pocket and threw it down upon the slab, turning away with the air of a man whose disgust is too deep for words. A few yards off, he stopped under the lamppost and laughed in the hearty, noiseless fashion which was peculiar to him.
0: When you see a man with whiskers of that cut and the pinken protruding out from his pocket, you can always draw him by a bet. I dare say that if I had put 100 pounds down in front of him, that man would not have given me such complete information as was drawn from him by the idea that he was doing me on a wager. Well, Watson, here we are. I fancy nearing the end of our quest, and the only point which remains to be determined is to whether we should go on to this Mrs. Oakshot tonight, or whether we should reserve it for tomorrow. It is clear, from what that surly fellow said, that there are others besides ourselves who are anxious about the matter, and I should... His remarks were suddenly cut short by a loud hubbub
2: which broke out from the store which we had just left. Turning round we saw a little rat-faced fella standing in the center of the circle of yellow light which was thrown with a swinging lamp. While Breckenridge, the salesman, framed in the door of his store, was shaking his fists fiercely at the cringing figure. I've
0: had enough of you and your geese. I wish you were all at the devil together. If you come any more with your silly talk, I'll set the dog on you. You bring Mrs. Oakshot here, and I'll answer her. But what have you to do with it? Did I buy the geese off you? One of them was mine all the same. Well then ask Mrs. Oak. She told me to ask you. Well you can ask the King of Prussia for all I care. I've had enough of it! Get out of this! Ha! Watson, this may save us a visit to Brixton Road. Come with me. You, sir. What do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about it. it. It Excuse me. I know everything of it. You are endeavouring to trace some geese, which were sold by Mrs. Oakshot of Brixton Road to a salesman named Breckenridge. By him, in turn, to Mr. Windigate of the Alpha, and by him to his club, of which Mr. Henry Baker is a member. Oh, sir, you are the very man whom I have longed to meet. Watson, fetch that cab. Cabby? In Cabin. that case, we had better discuss it in a cozy room rather than in this windswept marketplace. But pray tell me, before we go farther, who is it that I have the pleasure of... My sister? name is, uh, John Robinson. No, no. The real name. It is always awkward doing business with an alias. And then my real name is James Wider. Head attendant at the Hotel Cosmopolitan? Pray step into the cab, and I shall soon be able to tell you everything which you would wish to know. Here we are. The fire looks very seasonable in this weather. You look cold, Mr. Ryder. Pray take the basket chair. Now then. You want to know what became of those geese? Yes, sir. Or rather, I fancy, of that goose. It was one bird, I imagine, in which you were interested. White, with a black bar across the tail. Oh, sir, can you tell me where it went to? It came here. Here? Yes, a most remarkable bird, it proved. I don't wonder that you should take an interest in it. It laid an egg after it was dead. The bonniest, brightest little blue egg that ever was seen. I have it here, in my museum.
2: Our visitor staggered to his feet and clutched the mantelpiece with his right hand. Holmes unlocked his strongbox and held up the blue carbuncle, which shone out like a star with a cold, brilliant, many-pointed radiance. Ryder stood glaring with a drawn face, uncertain whether to claim or to disown it. The game's up, Ryder.
0: Hold up, man, or you'll be into the fire. Give him an arm back into his chair, Watson. He's not got blood enough to go in for felony with impunity. Give him a dash of brandy. So, what a shrimp it is, to be sure. I have almost every link in my hands and all the proofs which I could possibly need, so there is little which you need, tell me. You had heard, Ryder, of this blue stone of the Countess of Morcar. It was Catherine Cusack who told me of it. I see. Her ladyship's waiting maid. Well, the temptation of sudden wealth, so easily acquired, was too much for you, as it has been for better men before you. But you were not very scrupulous in the means you used. It seems to me, Ryder, that there is the making of a very pretty villain in you. You knew that this man Horner, the plumber... "...had been concerned in some such matter before, and that suspicion would rest the more readily upon him. What did you do then? You made some small job in my lady's room, you and your confederate Cusack, and you managed that he should be the man sent for. Then... When he had left, you rifled the jewel case, raised the alarm and had this unfortunate man arrested you then. For God's sake, have mercy. Think of my father. Think of my mother. It would break their hearts. I never went wrong before. I never will again. I swear it. I'll swear it on the Bible. Oh, I... Oh, I... Don't bring it into the court. For Christ's sake, Dad. Get back into your chair. It is very well to cringe and crawl now. But you thought little enough of this poor Horner in the dock for a crime of which he knew nothing. I will fly, Mr. Holmes. I will leave the country, sir. Then the charge against him will break down. We will talk about that. And now let us hear a true account of the next act. How came the stone into the goose? And how came the goose into the open market? Tell us the truth. For there lies your only hope of safety. I will tell you, just as it happened, sir, when Horner had been arrested, it seemed to me that it would be best for me to get away with the stone at once, for I did not know at what moment the police might take it into their heads to search me in my room. There was no place about the hotel where it would be safe. I went out as if on some commission, and I made for my sister's house. She had married a man named Oakshot and lived in Brixton Road, where she fattened fowls for the market. All the way there, every man I meet seemed to me to be a policeman or a detective, and that was all it was. A cold, cold night, the sweat was pouring down my face before I came to Brixton Road. My sister asked me what was the matter and, and, and why I was so pale, but I told her that I had been upset by the jewel robbery at the hotel. Then I went into the backyard and smoked a pipe and wondered what it would be best to do. My sister had told me some weeks before that I might have a pick of a geese for a Christmas present and I knew that she was always good as a word. I would take my goose now and it would carry my stone to Kilburn. There was a little shed in the yard and behind this I drove one of the birds, uh, a fine big one white with a barred tail. I caught it and prying its bill open I thrust the stone down its throat as far as my finger could reach. The bird. Gave a gulp, and I felt the stone pass along its gullet, down into its crop. But the creature flapped and struggled. If I may interrupt, something startled you. The appearance of an unwanted party. A workman, neighbour, your sister. Yes. And you dropped your golden goose with the blue carbuncle in its crop. And when all was clear, safe to leave, you absconded with the wrong goose. I carried the bird all the way to Kilbourne. I got a knife and opened the goose. My heart turned to water. For there was no sign of the stone. I knew that some terrible mistake had occurred. I left the bird, washed back to my sisters and hurried into the backyard. But there was not a bird to be seen there. My sister Maggie said that they were all sold to a man in Covert Garden, called Bwackenridge. I ran off as hard as my feet would carry me to this man, Bwackenridge, but he had sold the lot at once and not one word would he tell me as to where they had gone. You heard him yourselves tonight, and and now I am myself branded a thief without ever having touched the wealth for which I sold my character. (laughs) God help me. God help me. Get out. What, sir? Oh, heaven bless you, sir. No more words. Get out.
2: And no more words were needed. There was a rush, a clatter upon the stairs, the bang of a door, and the crisp rattle of running footfalls from the
0: street. "'I'm surprised at you, Holmes.' "'After all, Watson, I am not retained by the police to supply their deficiencies. "'If Horner were in danger, it would be another thing. "'But this fellow will not appear against him, and the case must collapse. "'I suppose that I am commuting a felony. "'But it is just possible that I am saving a soul. "'This fellow will not go wrong again. "'He is too terribly frightened.' Send him to jail now and you make him a jailbird for life. Besides, it is the season of forgiveness. Chance has put in our way a most singular and whimsical problem, and its solution is its own reward. If you will have the goodness to touch the bell doctor, we will begin another investigation in which also a bird will be the chief feature.
2: Yes, yes, indeed. I could tuck into supper now.
1: Mr. Holmes?
0: Ah, Mrs. Hudson. I can smell the delicious smell of roast goose.
3: Am I right? Indeed you are. There's a large, heavy package just delivered for you, Mr. Holmes. Billy, bring it in and put it on Mr. Holmes' table there.
0: Whatever can this be, Holmes? Another mystery, eh? I hope not. My mind is set on eating the goose Mrs Hudson has prepared for us. Ah, yes, you are mistaken. This package is for you, Mrs Hudson.
3: Look here. It says, to Mr Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yes. Oh. Oh, I see. From Mr Sherlock Holmes to... Well,
0: open it, dear woman.
3: (gasps) Oh! It's a tea set! A beautiful tea set!
0: Happy Christmas, Mrs
3: Hudson. Oh, Mr Holmes, thank you. Come on, Billy, let's get the gentlemen their dinner served. Careful now, lad. I've had bad luck on the stairs with china sets.
2: Well done, old friend. But when did you... The tea set
0: once belonged to my mother. I had Peterson send round a note to my brother, Mycroft. He's kept all the old things. A happy Christmas, for all I think. Indeed, indeed,
2: a happy Christmas. And here's to a happy new year,
0: my old friend.
1: The Blue Carbuncle, a Sherlock Holmes Christmas mystery. Written and directed by Mark Redfield. Original music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Sherlock Holmes was played by Mark Redfield. Dr. Watson was played by J.R. Liston. Mrs. Hudson was played by Carol Mason. Peterson, Henry Baker, Landlord, Breckenridge, and James Ryder were played by Mark Redfield. Adapted from the 1892 short story, The Adventures of the Blue Carbuncle, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Appearing in the series, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, as published in The Strand Magazine. Holmes and Watson will return in The Crimes of Sherlock Holmes. We invite you to visit redfieldartsaudio.com and to join our mailing list. Get updates on our latest audiobooks and audio dramas and receive our free monthly e-newsletter.
0: Redfield Arts Audio Podcast presents The Midnight Matinee. Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Fully dramatized tales of horror, crime, science fiction, and weird tales. The Thousand Injuries of
2: Fortunato... I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed
3: revenge. I've got out at last, in spite of you and Jane,
0: and I've pulled off all of the paper, all of the horrible, putrid wallpaper. What is it,
3: dear? No. No, someone's killed poor little Pluto and down high from the tree. Who who could be so cruel? Aldemar.
0: Can you explain your wishes or complaints? For God's sake. Quick. Quick. Put me to sleep.
2: Oh, quick. Waken me say to you that i am dead
0: is this your wish valdemar?
2: for god's sake
0: valdemar listen to this... the midnight matinee on the redfield arts audio podcast